Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher here in New York City, joined by, I would say, probably everybody's favorite guest. Uh, first time, just him and me on here, but I know you guys are going to recognize the voice of the one and only Carlos Welch. How are you, Carlos? I'm doing good. What's up, TPE Nation? TPE Nation, they love you. They've been asking for you, and I'm so glad we could get you on. Um Homeless poker player no more. I've heard rumors you've been substitute teaching or something. What's happening? Yes, so I am substitute teaching up in Portland. Um, still staying in the van, um, <laughs> but um, occasionally I'll get in um, Airbnb every now and then. Okay, <laughs> when you really want to splurge, right? Right. What is the most money you have spent on an Airbnb? Ooh, the most money I've spent on an Airbnb... Probably around fifty bucks, yeah, and, and that—that's that, the high end. That's the high end. Most. That's the absolute limit. Okay, I got one. Um, when I was, um, well, first of all, if you hear this train in the background, <laughs> it's because I'm at uh, my buddy Mike Snyderman's house. Oh yeah, we know Mike. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's he lives right next to a train, so I don't know if you heard that. We definitely heard it loud and clear. <laughs> <laughs> that's the. Um, uh, famous train that runs through here. But anyway, uh, as I was saying, I went home for Thanksgiving and I got an Airbnb in Atlanta for $17 a night. Nice. That's a good price. It's a good price until you hear the details. <laughs> but Uh-oh. I'm fine with it. So it was, <laughs> so I saw the pictures um, online and, you know, the house looked pretty nice. But then when I got there, I realized it was a modular home. Are you familiar with that is? Is that like a mobile home? Yeah, it's like the mobile homes that look like real houses. But they're not. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't realize this until I got there. But, you know, I'm fine. It's $17 a night, whatever. And I go in, and there's, like, I have the room, and but the room doesn't have a door on it. It has a um, like a curtain hanging between like the room and the living room, and they have like an indoor pit bull that just stands <laughs> right at that curtain. And every time I try to leave to go to the restroom, the dog <laughs> growl at me. Oh my god! <laughs> I was like, man, the things I'll do for a cheap night stay. Yeah, so like one of my biggest fears is like big dangerous dogs. I don't like them. I don't think I could stay in a place like that if you paid me seventeen hundred a night. <laughs> yeah, it it was it was it was a um it was an experience. Yeah, to say the least. But yeah, fifty dollars. What do you get for fifty dollars? Depending on where you are, you can get some pretty nice ones for fifty dollars. Uh, I try if I can to get a um like a finished ba- basement 
um, because those, you know, sometimes they even come with multiple rooms. It's almost like you have the entire place to yourself. And I think that's the best one I had for around 50 bucks. And I think I was in Birmingham and um, finished basement. It had like a um, big leather sectional couch and like this massive like smart TV with Netflix and I can watch all my Portlandia episodes I was watching for research <laughs> for before, research before I moved to Portland. So, yeah. So, yeah, that was probably the best $50 Airbnb I ever had. Wow. Well, that is just, you know, Carlos living large. He's got Netflix and a leather couch. Yes. <laughs> really making it rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good time. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're basically legendary as far as how you uh, save your money and, you know, you just won't spend it on things that you consider fr frivolous that many of us would consider, uh, you know, just normal day-to-day -day expenses. Um, but yeah, it's inspirational. It just shows you can live life however you want. And, you know, honestly, Carlos, I met you a few times and I think you're one of the happiest people I know. So, you know, you're doing something right. Yeah, I think, I think so. And, you know, I see a lot of, um, like inspirational uh, messages on Twitter from like famous people. Like the last one I saw was um, uh, Gary V. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah. Um, um, Killenberg um, told me about him and like, you know, just for the listeners who might not know, um, really like, you know, hyper, like, um, I guess business slash motivational speaker. And, yeah. and he just had a um, tweet that I liked um let me not misclick and hang up on you while I look for this tweet. Um, yeah, try not to do that. <laughs> it was um basically he said instead of like you know everybody says I want to be a millionaire and he says uh replace the word millionaire with happy. And that's probably that that's probably like the gist of my I guess life philosophy is a lot of people are chasing money in order to try and buy happiness, which we know does not work. And instead, I just try to be happy first and almost regardless of whether or not I get money. <laughs> there you go. And sometimes you do get money. Yeah. Yeah. Then it's just icing on the cake. Think about yeah. that. If you yeah. can if you can be happy with next to nothing then, you know, that that's kind of like a superpower for a poker player, because that way, you know, down swings don't hurt as bad. You know, when you when you don't have when you're not dependent on poker money for a mortgage, the down swings is just, eh, I just like, you know, have less gas money this month. You know, not a big deal. Right. Not a big deal. And so how much of the uh, substitute teaching are you doing now and how much poker playing are you doing these days so i started at the beginning of this school actually i started at the end of last school year in portland um but because it was so late in the year i could only work a small number of days i think i only worked like 30 days last year or something but um one of the perks for um working in portland subbing in portland is if i work 70 days then I qualify for the health benefits. And so uh, at the beginning of this school year, I worked a lot more um, 
uh, days and I, I think I'm up to like 40, 45 days so far. So I have about 25 to 30 more days to go, but I'm waiting until like winter is over <laughs> before I go back to Portland. So that's why I'm down in um, San Diego right now, just running from the um, uh, winter. But um, so when I get back to Portland, which because money's good uh, from poker lately, um, that'll probably be like middle of April. Um, I'll work from then until the end of the year, uh, which is going to be like early June, the end of the school year, right before um, Vegas. Um, so the plan is to work 70 days and not a second more than that. <laughs> just the the minimum effective dose <laughs> the minimum effective dose yes i like your style my friend uh yeah somebody might hear you say i only worked 30 days last year and they, you know, they might feel jealous you know but uh, i didn't work at all last year so <laughs> <laughs> do what you love right that old expression do what you love but you know from what i understand from listening to you in other interviews uh, you you do quite enjoy the student teaching, right? I do. I mean the substitute teaching. I meant to say. Yes, I do enjoy it. Um, I kind of like find ways to enjoy it. So sometimes, like, you know, every every class is different. So sometimes I enjoy the kids. Sometimes I don't. And sometimes I enjoy the subject matter. And but now that I think about it. Usually the kids that I enjoy the most are the ones that are in classes with interesting subject matter. So, right. like, for example, um, I'm a uh, math teacher. And so sometimes I'll sub like a say like a fourth or fifth grade class and like their math is like kind of so easy that it's not interesting to me. And they like cry and hit each other. <laughs> so so that's I don't I don't take those type of jobs very often. But then on the other end is high school. And so some of their classes are like calculus or uh, statistics, something that, you know, I actually need more practice in myself. And those kids are more mature. And so so it works better um, for me on that end. So, yeah, um, I, I really enjoy it. It's it's. It's probably next to getting the van to live in, becoming a sub as opposed to a regular teacher like I used to be is probably like one of the best decisions I've made in my life. Very good. Well, do the kids ever know who you are? Like, has anyone ever found you on Twitch or anything? Has that ever come up? No, and I hope it never does. <laughs> what I, would you do? Have you thought about <laughs> how you would handle that? No, I I, I hadn't. Um, I I hadn't thought about it. But it would be it would be kind of awkward. It's going to happen one day because it's not like um, um, like I said, I sub mostly in high schools. And so I'm dealing with people who could potentially be online poker players. And so <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> one day I'm probably going to run into a TPE member <laughs> and sub it for his like, you know, senior calculus class or something. And he will put it together because he's going to see that your name is Carlos or Mr. Welch, whatever you go by. And then he's going to hear your very distinctive voice. Yeah. He's going to say, I know that. I know that sound. I know who that guy is. I've listened to him that's for gonna, hours. That's going to be a funny day. Yeah, sure. that's 
it's going to hit the fan, my friend. So be <laughs> ready. You should start the game plan now. You know, just like you try to figure out what's going to happen if a king comes on the river. You need to know what's going to happen when one of these kids figures out who you are and calls you on it in the middle of class. That's a a good point. i got to start putting the strategy together. (laughs) Get that strategy down. I don't know if Pio Solver can help us with this one. (laughs) Uh, It's all good. Uh, Yeah, I would imagine that would be interesting work. And just the fact that it's not exactly the same thing every day is probably cool i mean that's one thing i love about poker it's just or comedy for that matter it's it's never the same so that keeps it fun yeah yeah so uh you said poker has been good uh so what have you been playing and and what have you been winning and what's going on so i was gonna say the majority but at this point 100 percent of my play is online tournaments and i play on bovada and uh, since about, I'll say for a little less than a year now, I don't know what happened a year ago, but it seems like the players on this site are getting worse. And I've kind of just through trial and error figured out a strategy that works really well against this new age um, maniac and uh, which it used to be like, you know, you sit at a table with eight other players and you could say that almost without fail in the small stakes tournaments, six of them would be like loose passive calling stations. And then occasionally you'll get like, you know, one good player or halfway decent player and then like one psycho. Now, now it's like four psychos. <laughs> And like maybe three stations and one like absolute net. And so, of course, the game plan of the strategy I've used in the past, I've had to kind of tweak it a bit. And so I kind of figured it out. And with that change, my win rate um, has kind of skyrocketed over the last year. My BB per 100. Um, but the results didn't necessarily follow. Um, sometimes your theoretical, um, um, earn is not the same thing as your, uh, actual earn. But over like the past two weeks or so, um, it's starting to catch up. So I've, um, final table several tournaments and, um, made a whole lot of money in the past two weeks. So I'm pretty happy about that. Well, congratulations. You know, it's really nice to talk to someone who's kind of in the middle of an upswing because, you know, the positivity is uh, usually a a nice welcome change to any poker podcast. Yeah, and, <laughs> and you caught me at the right time because, <laughs> like I said, this has only been like the past two weeks. I've been kind of pulling my hair out before that because, you know, like if, if we'd done this like a month ago, I would be like scratching my head trying to figure out why the hell is this win rate not <laughs> uh, converting into profits because I'm like crushing like 30 BB per 100 or something just insane but you know it's, I, I was kind of running into issues where I was winning the early pots and losing the later pots which is a pretty bad um, uh, scenario formula yeah that's a- <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm winning 
I'm, I'm doing really well when it's like at the 1020 level and not so well at the 10,000, 20,000 level. Yeah. So, I mean, you know how it is with tournaments. I mean, your BB for 100 is almost meaningless because it's really about uh, you know, running good at the end. I mean, that's how you get final tables is when you win, need to win a coin flip or you need to hit your draw or whatever the case may be. That's what it is. Now, let me ask you, um, you know, and let's have the listeners think about this, too. So if I told you you're about to enter a tournament where four out of eight of your opponents would be wild, like maniacs, psychos, as Carlos calls them, uh, how would you adjust your strategy going into that? I mean, before we hear from Carlos, let's all think about this together for a second. I mean, the first thing I think of is that small pairs and suited connectors lose some of their value because if it's going to go raise, re-raise, re-raise, pre-flop, uh, you know, my implied odds are much smaller uh, having put in so much of my stack pre-flop already, if it's that kind of aggression. Um, checking and calling becomes a much more valuable tool than it normally is because you got to let these guys hang themselves. And, you know, If his mistake is that he's too aggressive, you have to let him be too aggressive in order to make money from him, right? So, Carlos, those are kind of my, off the top of my head, my first reactions to hearing about these tables. Uh, are those the adjustments you're making and, and what else? Um, you basically nailed it in terms of like specific um, tactics, but I'll answer the question from a more strategic point of view. It just like generally another way of saying what you just said is you have to kind of like use passivity in order to use their aggression against them. And so it kind of throws all the rules out of the window. And so one thing that I've been doing is a whole lot of limping. And so this the, the type of games I'm talking about, like, say, if I'm under the gun with a hand like ace-jack offsuit, oftentimes I wouldn't even play that hand. I would just, like, open fold it. But in these games, what I see is, say, if I'm, like, 30, 40 bigs deep, I can limp that hand. And, and shove. Like, yeah, somebody in middle position will raise and then get, like, four collars. And then you can shove. And then I'll just shove, yeah. Yeah. So that yeah. type of thing as far as, like, these um, when stacks are shorter, but when um, um, stacks are a little bit deeper and that's not a viable strategy – um, I'll, I'll still kind of like limp in and just like check call, like you said. And then when I make a hand post flop, I just kind of like check call and they just like <laughs> just give it away. Like there was a hand I played the other day where I limped ace queen suited early position. A guy raises. We're like 100 bigs deep. Another guy calls from the small blind. No, this must have been like 50 bigs deep. So I limp. Guy raises, another guy calls from the small blind. Um, flop is um, two clubs um, with a five as the smallest card, and I have ace queen of clubs. And the the guy who called out a small blind just like ripped, just open rip dunk bet for five times the pot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I shrug and call, and he has like queen five offsuit the bottom pair. <laughs> You know, so this is like, you know, I I I, I get on these podcasts and I kind of like tout my uh, 
win rate, but it's nothing that I'm doing. These people are just literally making it rain on me. Yeah, but you're picking the right sites to play on. Yes. And, uh, or the right site. It sounds like you're just <laughs> playing that one site. Now, on Bovada, what kind of stakes are you playing where you're seeing this kind of action? That That's the insane thing is as – so I mentioned earlier that a year ago I was um, – playing in different types of games because it was mostly passive. And these were like $10 and $20 tournaments. So I developed a pretty good strategy for those where I was the one being over-aggressive, hence the new name, Carlos. Carlos, right. Right, right. So Carlos kind of like dominated the smaller stakes. And with that money, I moved up and play, started playing like $30 tournaments and $50 tournaments and, and 109s and even up to like $200 tournament. So my my ABI, my average buy-in right now is probably around between 50 and 100. And it's like the further I move up, the more maniacal the players get. And it's almost like it's easier. They're easier to beat than the, the overly passive guys. Um, the only problem is that they kind of like uh, increase your variance. Because you have to call a five X shove with a flush draw, um, but you win bigger pots also. So because of that extra variance, it kind of like has taken a while for that for my results to catch up with a win rate, and that's primarily because my volume is pretty low. I'm only playing on one site. I'm playing some of the biggest buy-ins on that site, so that's going to limit uh, the number of games I can play, and so. Um, at this point, I think I'm probably playing maybe on average five games a day. And so that's not a lot, but, um, I'm glad that the, um, I'm starting to have the results catch up with the win right now. Sure. And they will over time, obviously. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to me that your average buy-in is much, much greater than your average, uh, Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I guess that's good. It's a good barometer of how well you're doing in poker. Uh, at what point do you make the decision to move up in stakes? Um, I'll put it this way. And so I, I was rolled to play the ten and twenty dollar tournaments, and probably the third. Maybe I took a shot in like a thirty dollar tournament, or maybe I played a satellite and I won my way into like a one fifty, and. Once I kind of like got some experience at that level and I saw how much they were just giving it away, I almost like threw bankroll management out of the window. And I know you're big on bankroll management, but I felt like this was like being around and like in in 1849 and like not going to California for the gold rush. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that's a great analogy. But you know, I want to stop you because I'm not as big on bankroll management as some people out there. Maybe I am more than, than some. But, yeah, I think I'm probably somewhere in the middle as far as, you know, uh, bankroll management Nazi nits. Yeah. Um, I believe that if you have another source of income, as I do, uh, you can take shots. You know, like I play the 10K main event at the World Series of Poker every year. I'm certainly not bankrolled for that. Who's bankrolled for that? You should have a million dollars to play that, right? But, you know, it's a shot. You know, I don't play it every day. I'm certainly not bankroll to play a 10K every day or even every month. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good point. 
Yeah, I just think, you know, sometimes you got to take your shot. And if it's a good situation, you want to take more shots. But if you take your shot and realize you're overmatched, then you're like, well, I took my shot. And now I see what kind of work I have to do before I'm actually ready to play at those stakes. But yeah, I mean, you have another source of income with your substitute teaching. And so, I mean, I think, you know, occasionally going up a little higher uh, than what your actual, you know, number of buy-ins in your bank account would dictate isn't a, a mortal sin because honestly, you can get that money back. I mean, protecting a bankroll is only as important as how hard it would be to replace it. Exactly, exactly. And and again, a lot of those rules, like you kind of have to throw them out the window. Like when you take a shot and you realize like, man, this new level is actually easier than any play money game I ever played. You kind of got to throw caution to the wind. <laughs> You've got to be exaggerating a little, right? No, I wish I would. No. You know, I kind of beat myself up for this because I tell everybody this all the time. And this has actually happened to me in the past, but I can't help myself. I guess I'm a blabbermouth. But I can remember when ACR, um, I don't know if they first started, but I can, I don't know, like, you know, what they were doing before. But a couple of years ago, everybody played on um, carbon poker. Right. And some guy, like, mentioned to me how soft ACR was, and then I decided to give it a shot, and it was super soft. And so I was like, so I get on podcasts and talk about how soft ACR is, and now it's gotten tougher. <laughs> and so same thing has happened with the circuit event in Cherokee. Like, the first couple of years they had that event, you know, you it, it was it's almost impossible, at least at that time, five years ago, to go to a circuit event and not see, like, Ari Engel, or um, I'm gonna like, you know, forget names now, but you know, these people that kind of just like, you kind of expect to see them play every tournament. It, it almost feels like they play two tournaments in tournaments in two separate states on the same day. You can't figure out how, but Cherokee was like that. And I told everybody, like, you gotta come to Cherokee. Even Ari is not here. It's just me. <laughs> it's just me and the people who play like free bar league poker. And I talked about it on the podcast, and now, you know, the good players come to Cherokee. So I kind of ruined these sites and these locations for myself because I can't shut up about it. But I'm telling you, this these games on Bovada are the softest games I've ever seen in my life, wow. including well, play money. Incredible. And you mentioned 1849 before, but look how expensive it is to live in California now. Yes. So. So this Bovada party isn't going to last forever. Uh, one good thing about it for you is that those of us who live in New York State can't access Bovada for some reason. I don't know what stupid law it is, but yeah, like I live in New York City, so I can't play on Bovada. So as many times as you have told me and others have told me, you got to get on Bovada. It's like, what do I have to live in New Jersey? No, no poker game is worth moving to New Jersey. <laughs> 100% agree with that. <laughs> no offense, anyone who's listening and <laughs> living in New Jersey right now. But, so, Carlos, do you have any uh, – oh, sorry, go, go ahead. What I was going to say, like, you know, I don't mind – like, this podcast, uh, I don't mind giving back to the TPE Nation. Like, TPE has done so much for me. So, if you are a TPE uh, member or just a listener of the podcast and you're kind of just getting into poker and you're looking for a soft place to play – Go to Bovada. I was there. there. I was I was in your shoes like not too long ago. And, you know, people kind of like 
helped me out along the way. So this is me paying it forward. That's free, yeah. giving away free money on Bovada. And that's one of the many things we love about you, Carlos. You are uh, basically a TPE success story. For those who might not know, why don't you just give us like the 30 to 60 second kind of background of your relationship with TPE? So my relationship with TPE started um, just before Black Friday in 2011. So um, good timing. I, yeah, <laughs> I started I started playing poker online around 2004 and started kind of taking it serious around 2006. And at that time, sitting goals were a thing. Uh, they they kind of dead now, I think. But I was like a sit and go reg for like five years starting in 2006 and well i should say around 2010 the game started getting tougher because you know when there's only nine players at the table and like seven of them are pros the money's gonna dry up and um so somebody suggested that i try multi-table sitting goes like the 18 man's 180 man's so i tried those but of course with that's basically 180 man is basically a tournament and so my sit and go experience was not serving me well. And so I had to learn how to play tournaments. And there was a new site out around that time. I believe April 15th, 2010, uh, TPE went online. And so, um, I was like one of the early members. And exactly a year later, April 15th, 2011, Black Friday hit and I couldn't play poker anymore. And, um, I think you keep it kind of um, friendly here, so, so I'm not going to curse. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for respecting. <laughs> okay, so instead of the word I was going to say, I was going to say, uh, forget this. <laughs> I'm not going to be paying, uh, you know, for this training site when I can't even play online anymore. And so I kind of like, you know, ended my TPE membership um, right after Black Friday, and I just thought, Online poker was over. And probably like a year and a half later, I don't know how I learned about it, but somebody told me, hey, we can play from the U.S. again on Carbon Poker. So I went back to Carbon, but by that time, the sit-and-goes were no longer a thing, even the multi-table sit-and-goes. It was just straight-up tournaments. And so that's when I went back to TPE and um, just really dove in head first with the forums um, communicating with all the coaches and other members. And it just really felt different than training sites that I was, uh, a member of in the past. Like some of them were just like, you know, places where I would go to learn about poker, but TPE felt like a family. It felt like a built in poker crew, which is something I never had like my first decade playing poker. So, you know, I dived in head first and it has paid dividends. Well, we are so happy to have you as part of the family, and uh, sometimes families get into uh, discussions, so we need to get into a discussion about some hands you've been playing. So we're basically going to have a strategy segment now, guys, where we're going to hear, you're going to get to sit in Carlos's seat, where he's playing in these incredibly sick, beautiful games <laughs> on a website he seems to have all to himself called Bovada Poker. I think we should actually get them to sponsor this podcast. We must have mentioned Bovada 50 times already. Uh, so <laughs> what kind of hands do you have for us? I actually, this was hard for me because I was thinking, 
let me go through my database and find like more traditional hands as opposed to the crazy stuff that I'm seeing every day. So, so, and there were not many, most of the stuff I do on this site, um, is kind of way outside the box. And if you don't know where I'm coming from and you haven't experienced these games, then, um, it would be a little bit weird with some of the lines I take. So unfortunately I didn't bring hands from like the day-to-day psychosis that I'm seeing. I found a few or two halfway normal, the, the few, um, halfway normal hands that I have in the database. So, Oh, that's fine. I mean, I just thought it might be fun for people to try to figure out how you play day to day. But if you actually went out of your way to find hands that would be more consistent with what people actually see in the real world, then maybe we should just talk about one of those. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do this. And then if there's time left, then I'll um, dig up. I won't even have to dig up. I can just open my database, close my eyes and click on a hand and there'll be somebody <laughs> giving away 500 bigs. So, so we'll do, we, we can do a hand like that also. If, if Just we have throw to. a dart at the map. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All so, right. So this hand is from a $82 buy-in, um, 10K guaranteed knockout tournament on Bovada. And okay. the, the bounty is um, 20 bucks. Okay. And they get, what, about 150 or 200 players? Yeah, yeah. That's another reason I like this site. The uh, I'm really big on um, small um, fills. And um, pretty much every game on this site has like it's rare to have one with more than a thousand runners. Right. Yeah. So this one, this knockout tournament, eighty-two dollar buy-in. Um, this is like level one. This may actually even be the first hand. Ten um, K starting stacks at the ten twenty level. So we are five hundred big blinds deep. And. A guy opens from UTG uh, 1 to 3X. So 60, UTG 2 calls, uh, middle position calls, and I'm in the cutoff with king-queen offsuit. Okay. Yeah, now the books back in the day would say, you know, you don't want to be calling with king-queen offsuit because you're going to get dominated too often by an early position raiser yada 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 i mean i think we can safely throw some of those books away now because just the game has changed and that second position open or utg1 as you say uh is doesn't mean what it used to mean and neither does the call in worst relative position to his immediate left so i think that uh you have all of your uh, weapons at your disposal now it might be a little wild to three bet here, especially given the amount of action we've already seen. I don't mind calling. I mean, if you told me you folded it, I wouldn't say it's terrible. But I think in this spot, I would usually call. Okay, so in this spot, um, I opted for a three bet. I do, I do like calling with some of these quote unquote trouble hands in softer yeah. games because in soft games, trouble hands are monsters. But the problem here is that this pot is already kind of like going to be massively multi-way. And so this type of hand, I think, plays better with fewer people in the pot and also with a um, smaller SPR. And so if I if I can, I would like to maybe try to get the um, 
players behind me out and maybe one of the field callers. Um, so that's why I opted to three bet here. Okay, so before you tell us the amount that you three bet, I mean, it, it, the open was to 60 and you got three callers or two callers? Two callers. So right two now, callers. right yeah. now, there's 210 in the middle. Yeah, so there's 210 in the middle. I mean, to me, even if you make it 400 and get two callers, you're not really going to get a comfortable SPR. There goes that train again. <laughs> yeah, you heard it. <laughs> yeah, loud and clear. Oh, uh, you know, so even you know, suppose you make it four hundred and two of them call you, you're still gonna have an SPR around like eight and a half or something. That's so true. It's not really a good it's there's no way to get the SPR down to a comfortable number. That said, I don't think there's anything wrong with building this pot in position and limiting your number of opponents. Trying to, you know, thin the field as we say is totally fine. So I mean, I guess I, I keep thinking 400. That's a really big bet. But if you really want to accomplish your goal of getting some of these guys out, I think you need to raise pretty heavy. I would say 350 to 400 is probably what I would do. You know what? That's another thing. I, I said this was a um, a, a quote-unquote normal hand, but um, it's an- not. <laughs> a, a, another adjustment that I've made on this site is to use bigger sizes. Good. So in the past, I probably would have gone around 350 or maybe somewhere between three and 350, but I made it 410 here because Good. these people, they like to call. And so yeah. if you want to have any chance of getting this thing um, thin in this field, you have to go bigger than um, normal. Yeah, I thought you were going to say like 280. So, yeah, I, I love that you made it for 410, not only because I said 400, but because – I just think that's that's the kind of size, like twice the pot is what you need to bet here in order to try to like accomplish your goal of, of thinning the field. I mean, I think that's a smaller bet might very well get some of the players behind you out. The button would probably fold for, you know, if you made it smaller. But as far as the guys that have already put a chip in, they're not going to fold for 300. You no. You need to make it 400. <laughs> not at all. So yeah. we do get the blinds out. Good. Um, the opener calls, um, and everybody else does also. <laughs> so, okay. so even though we made it a massive three bet, or three betting and early position opener massively, we still get a four way pot. Yeah, well, once the first guy calls, the other guys should call. I think, um, even though it's it's kind of ridiculous. It's like you know, suppose the caller has like pocket sixes. And then when you put in that big three bet, he's like, well, now I have to fold. But then once the original razor calls, he says, hmm, maybe I should call because the guy to my left has to call. And now I can set mine because they actually do have a stack for it. So yes. it's okay. It's that, weird, but it's okay. Yeah, no, that that to me is completely standard and fine. Um, the only thing is um, we have to remember that this is Bavada. And so there's a good chance somebody has like king seven off <laughs> and they might just shove bottom pair on this ace, 10, seven flop. Right. right. <laughs> but so so I have three vet and get three callers. So four way pot. The flop is ace, 10, seven rainbow. OK, ace, 10, seven. And we have king, queen offsuit. Yes. And so now there's sixteen hundred ish in the pot and we have uh 90 like 9600 behind um 
Yeah, that's the effective stat. I actually have these guys covered, so I guess this wasn't the first hand. Yeah, so um, you must have won a few pots early. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, roughly, um, like you said, 96 behind. And so action checks over to me, and I have this gutter and king high. Yeah, so, I mean, against these types of opponents, do we want to try to bluff all three of them with our gut shot and king high. Um, I assume that if you put in a bet of like 1,000, if no one has an ace, you probably can get it through. But I don't know. I mean, a lot of loose players will call you with middle pair here and say, yeah, like, so Carlos probably has an ace. But if I hit my kicker, you know, and they'll pay whatever price it costs, now that they're in it, they're not really going to go away. I think considering all that and that we have a draw to the nuts, I'd probably just check and try to hit a jack. I 100% agree with that. Um, you, because you don't play on this site, you <laughs> are giving these people reasonable folding <laughs> ranges. If some, if I bet a thousand and somebody has deuces, they're calling. They're calling with that. Yeah. So you really can't <laughs> bet then. Yeah. 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 No need. No need to um, bluff at this point. Yeah, we check. So I check it back, and like you said, we hit the jack. Miracle card. That's yeah. why you picked this hand. <laughs> yes, yes. And the jack brings in a flush draw, which we don't have. It brings in spades. And I do have the queen of spades, but um, um, that's pretty much it. So, okay, so to be clear, now there's backdoor spades. Yes. But they haven't gotten there yet. Right, exactly. Okay. Exactly. So right. I turned the nuts. I'm pretty mm -hmm. happy about that. You should be happy, Carlos. <laughs> Congratulations. Yes. And so now, again, there's still uh, 1670 in the middle. And the original Razor bets out 855, so about half pot. Okay. And the others fold? And the others do fold, and the action's back on me. Okay. So I think you need to raise because... Uh, he could have picked up that backdoor flush draw and that becomes a value target, right? When we have the nuts and he's got a draw. It, it's not so much that I'm worried about, you know, the 18% chance or whatever that that draw comes in. It's just when I have an opponent who's probably not very skilled, he will more than likely make some bad calls, optimistic and bad calls. Um, also, I don't think that he would fold any ace, although I'm not sure he would have checked it on the flop, but he might have because you did put in that big three bet. Um, I don't think he's going to call a raise with a 10, but then he's also probably not going to pay off on the river with a 10 either unless you bet pretty small. Um, I know we're not playing against uh, a wizard here, but I think even mediocre players can kind of put you on an ace right yes and <laughs> and, and, I, and i will say with the 10 uh i think he's calling with pretty much any 10 because okay uh, because if he has like king 10 he has like a gutter with it that's a good point same thing with queen 10 and 8 queen 10 and 10, 9 yeah. 10 yeah so that's a really good point actually all the 10s have not only a 10 but that 
you know, very attractive straight draw to go with it. Yes. So, yeah, yeah it's hard to hard to fold in with so much equity. <laughs> yeah, and, and this guy would be completely clueless of how the fact that there's also a flush draw there kind of like diminishes yeah. his straight draw a bit. So one card to co- one card to come, and you got a straight draw. That's play for stacks. That's how yeah. people think. Yeah. So then, if that's the case. Um, I think the the best play here is to actually just shove. I mean, it seems crazy, but uh, I, I mean, if he's going to call with whatever, then we might as well go for maximum value. He's never going to fold an ace. He, you know, he'll find some excuse to call you with such a wide range. You might as well get the money now, because you might get. He might actually be more scared if that back door comes in on the river. So what do you think about just a huge overbad shove against a, a below average opponent? This this hand was for sure within like the first orbit, so I didn't have a whole lot of information on the table. But okay. often, and we've talked about this um, when you and I were in Vegas. I'm really big on making quick reads on people and just putting like way too much faith in it. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and so had I seen this guy do anything remotely insane so far, I definitely would just shove here because I know that he will call with pretty much anything. Because I because I don't have information yet that he's that extreme, I kind of want to like um kind I don't know if split the difference is the right phrase, but. I think the average player on this site makes too many um, calling mistakes in these situations. So I definitely want to raise. But because I'm not sure if he's on the extreme end of stations, I'm not quite ready to go for a shove against this particular player until he shows me that he's willing to go crazy in other spots. Right. Okay. So then with a little bit of math, we can figure out how much to raise to leave ourselves a pot size bet on the river or roughly that. And I think it's somewhere around 2,800 just off the top of my head. How far off am I? 81 chips. Okay. All right. So that's pretty good. <laughs> you are pretty good, man. You nailed my three bet size and my raise size. Uh, 2,881 is what I made it. And, uh-huh. um, he calls, and the river is the ace of clubs. Okay, so do, have we left ourselves a pot size bet here? Yes, um, there's seventy four hundred in the middle, and he has sixty seven hundred behind. Okay, so we're right there. We're right there in the ballpark. What yep. we need. All right. So, is there any reason? Well, does he he checks? I assume. Yeah, that's the you're gonna ask. Is there any reason we don't just shove here? Yeah. It's because he shoves. Oh, okay. So then it just becomes like, would this guy or would someone that comprises the typical field in this tournament, since we don't know this particular guy that well in level one, would he shove if we're not beat? So, I mean, you know these players better than I do. Um, I know most of them. This guy, uh, like I said, I didn't have much on him, but I think it's a good question, man. It's like uh, if he 
if he had like ace deuce or something, now he's got trip aces. Is he more likely to like? I think if he checks in our shove, he's calling for sure. But would he shove him, himself? Um, some yeah, of he the- just comes out of nowhere and just puts all his stack in after he's pretty much been passive since you know at least since the flop. Um, yeah, he he did lead turn when we checked back flop. Um, so oh, that's right. He led and then called, right? Yeah, he led and called the turn. Yes, and and then lead again. It's like normally so strong. Like when somebody bets on a street and gets raised, and then the same player who bet the the street bets the next street. That's usually really an indicator of strength. Like why doesn't he check to you? He's afraid you won't bet. I hate this spot. This sucks because I <laughs> we were sure we had the nuts before. Yes, yes. This I is. Mean, this, I hate it. I I I kind of laughed at myself a little bit because you said, "Wow, Carlos makes the nuts on the turn." This is why you brought this hand. And I, what I'm thinking, like, no, this is why I brought this. This is hand. why you brought this hand. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't play on that site. But if I were playing, say, like a $300 tournament at Planet Hollywood, which is you know kind of comparable as far as you know the live version of what you're talking about, where you just see some really ridiculous play, um, I think I would fold, man. I, I, I hate to say it, but I think I would just lay this down because in in the world of amateur players who aren't that creative. This shove has a straight beat like all the time. Because like you said before, if he has ace-deuce, right, he's got to be worried that you can beat ace-deuce because you've been playing so strong on the previous street. Yeah. For him to bet and bet so big, he probably doesn't do this with like just trips. With just trips, he might he might lead for a small amount like I, mean, I hope Carlos doesn't raise, but I also don't want to check check when I have three of a kind. You know what I mean? Like, but for him to put it all in like that, I don't know. I mean, I don't know him, and I, and I don't know the site. But trying to make a a comparative, uh, you know, guess based on tournaments I have played against opponents who basically don't know what they're doing. Yes. I don't think the straight ever wins. And and that's the craziest thing about this hand is because. Uh, there's some players on this site that could show up with like six five off right here, <laughs> just absolutely nothing. And then so you can't and until you get that information, you can't really you know put the guy in this box. Um, the average player on this site, I think, is um not. I, I don't think they're gonna do this with Ace Deuce. Um, I don't know what they do with like Ace King. I don't know what they do with like ace queen. Um, so I got. I, I paused for a second because uh, I think the internet dropped. Um, yeah, it did. So I yeah, got so... that. In, uh, yeah, I was gonna say I got that in the back of my mind um, that the. Um, I'm gonna have to treat him like the average player on this site as opposed to like the guy who I want to like show up with nothing here. But here's the other twist. And this is where my inexperience comes in. Remember I said this is a bounty tournament. 
and I have this uh, guy covered. And so do you play many bounty tournaments? I do. Yeah, I don't play a lot of online tournaments at all, but I do play uh, every bounty tournament I can. So because it's it's fun. The action is good in bounty tournaments. So this is my inexperienced rudimentary math to try to figure this out. And so I want you to like teach me something here and let me know what I'm doing wrong. Okay. So this this is a $82 buy-in and $20 of it goes to the bounty. So does that mean we should treat the bounty like a quarter of a starting stack? I mean, that is one way to do it, and that might be theoretically something that you could do. Um, I, I think I've seen that in other places before. But what I would do is – I don't really do that because what I would do is I would say this guy knows that we have him covered, which means in his mind that we should be more likely to call him to bust him and collect that $20 which makes the, the possibility that he's bluffing even smaller than I already thought it was. I actually forgot, to be honest. been a long day, but and I <laughs> forgot that this was a bounty event. Um, but I think that makes his shove more nutted than it was before. Okay, yeah. So I think in this hand, I kind of fell victim to the inexperience with the, um, with the bounty because I – when I when he shoved, my first thought was full because uh, I have a rule that if the river if if somebody bets the river if it's not a snap call it's a full. <laughs> if you, you have what you probably don't go too wrong doing that actually. If you, if you have that rule, you 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 will save yourself. So you know you'll get bluffed probably like one time out of twenty. Right. <laughs> and right. so in my mind, this was a snap fold. But then I was like, ooh, it's a bounty and I have them covered. So there's like extra equity in there. But, yeah, I didn't even think about what you said is that, you know, that actually makes his, his shoving range stronger if he realizes that, you know, I'm going to call wider. So um, I did call and he had ace 10 for <laughs> the riverboat. Um, yeah. Yeah, that sucks. Ah, uh, that's a that's that's a bad thing. It, now, as far as you know, it does give us a chance to talk a little bit about bounty tournaments. There are more bounty tournaments on the WSOP schedule this year than there've ever been in any previous summer. Um, and so I've been excited because I really enjoy bounty tournaments. I like when my big river bets get called <laughs> by yeah. bigger stacks. <laughs> Generally speaking, I'm not yes. bluffing. Uh, so I want that action. Um, so, yeah, you know, one way to do the math is to say, right, because that's a quarter of the prize pool is bounties. Then you could, you know, extrapolate that and say that it's a quarter of the starting stack. And, you know, there there would be some use to that kind of math if you were playing against opponents who who thought that way. Uh, but if you're playing in a smaller stakes bounty tournament or apparently any tournament <laughs> on Bovada, <laughs> yes, you got to know that your opponents are not thinking that way. And so uh, you're kind of one, one level up from where they are, which is kind of useless territory. You know, uh, agreed, agreed. It goes over their heads to be thinking on that plane when they're just like, you know, I've got it. 
he's probably going to call me because it's a bounty and I'm just going to shove here and just get it in <laughs> with my full house and he's going to call because that's what players that I'm used to playing against do is they call. So when I meet someone from Florida or someone who plays a lot on Bovada, you know, just to extend it mm -hmm. or any place where the the mistake players make the most is calling. Uh, yes. You'll find that people from those places don't bluff that much. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think so. I think so. So. Right. Because they're used to getting called. So their strategy is make a big point and bet the hell out of it. Yeah. 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 You got to think about, you know, the mistakes that they see every day and how they've adjusted to exploit those people. Right. Not that they are even thinking in those terms necessarily, but just, you know, it becomes sort of instinctive. It's like maybe when I first logged into Bovada, I was like, oh, this is a good place. I'm going to bluff. Bluffing's fun. And then it's like when 11 bluffs in a row get called, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't fun at all. Maybe I'll just make a hand and then bet it really big. And that the train of truth goes down. As you say that. <laughs> that, that, that's the um the pain train. <laughs> the pain train for comes this in one. conjunction with this river card. Yeah, where you lost your eighty two dollars. Yeah, and, uh, and and another thing about this hand is the that I don't know if this happened to me at the time. Generally, it doesn't happen to me, but I know for a lot of people, you can end up calling this river because you feel entitled, given that you had the nuts just one street ago. Yeah, and, and that's a really like toxic um, mentality to have in poker that I've kind of learned the hard way to kind of like not um, fall for that. Like I said, had this not been about it, well, it was funny. Had this not been about any tournament, I probably would have just like snap folded the river. But I kind of like leveled myself because I this is the problem. I, I shouldn't have played bounty tournaments until I understand what how the bounty changes things so i'm learning as i go i guess yeah well it sounds like your learning process has been a profitable one at least of late and i'm, I'm glad to hear about that do you have plans to uh join us in las vegas this summer a lot of people are getting excited we've been talking about the the wsop schedule has been finally released in its entirety and you know i've been talking with some of the guys on the podcast about uh, you know, what What are you excited to play? How long are you going to be there? Have you thought that far ahead? Are you one of these guys that, like, when you see the schedule came out, you you make your plans? Uh, I haven't looked at the schedule, but I do think far ahead, meaning I'm going to be in Vegas the entire time for the next 10 WSOPs. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, look, I look far ahead. I'll definitely be there. Uh, the difference is like when you get excited about like you look at the schedule and like, OK, Clayton Fletcher looking at the schedule, uh, wondering which tournaments I'm going to play. I'm looking at the schedule like, hmm, I wonder what tournaments Clayton's going to play so I can rail him <laughs> at the final table. I'm more excited about railing you guys than I am about playing myself, especially the bracelet events. Um, I'll probably play like some small stuff at the win every now and now and then, but hanging out with friends and just being a fan of poker, um, uh, is more exciting to me about the summer than being a player. That is fantastic. And, you know, I have to say in a few of my, uh, deep runs in the last few years, I've looked over at the rail and maybe like after I lost a big pot or something <laughs> and I see Carlos's face 
smiling at me, giving me the encouraging, like, you know, hang in there. Don't worry. You got this. <laughs> and uh, I have to say, it really does affect uh, my mindset and helps me get focused on the next hand. Just feeling like I'm not in this alone, you know, that, that, you don't even back me, you know, yeah. you don't have like a piece. You know, it's one thing if like somebody <laughs> buys you into something, of course, he's going to be rooting for you, of course. But, you know, just having a friend who's just, you know, giving you friendly, good vibes when you need them most uh, uh, makes a, a, a huge difference. You know, uh, you know, last year in my in my deep run in the main, uh, so much of the time, Andrew Brokus was out there and, you know, just rooting for me. And my mother had came, come all the way from Maryland and she's a poker player, too. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of when you see those friendly faces in the crowd, like you guys, uh, Carlos out there or, or whoever, it's just uh, that's really nice that you enjoy doing that because uh, to those of us whom you have railed, uh, we are blessed. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good. It's good to hear that, man. And part of the reason why I'm not excited about looking at the schedule and playing is because I was excited last year and then I went over 20. Right, and, not go well, right, to say the least. Yeah, going over twenty is bad enough, but probably about five of those were like stone bubbles. Yeah, <laughs> and so and, and probably like three of the stone bubbles were in um, survivor tournaments, oh, where, where, where where the min cash is like ten buy-ins. That's surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So because um, I had that experience in. June, um, I kind of like bolted <laughs> at the end of June to like go teach summer school so I could replace all this money I just torched. Right, um, right. And so because of that, I I was not in town when you uh, made your deep run. Andrew made a deep run. Uh, uh, Ryan Laplante is one of my new coaches. He made a deep run. Like this was like the worst year as a railer to miss. <laughs> and I'm so I'm so mad that poker player Carlos caused Riller Carlos to miss the best year ever. So I'm not gonna let that happen again. So I need all of you guys to make more deep runs this year so that I don't feel like I got left out. So Clayton, I'm sorry, you're just gonna have to get like top fifty in the main again. So well, I have I'll just to have to. <laughs> I guess I'll just have to so that you don't have FOMO. <laughs> This one's for Carlos's lack of FOMO. Oh, <laughs> my God. I was so mad. I was railing online. I was doing a cyber rail, but I was so mad that I was. Oh, I know. I saw you. I saw you liking my tweets, buddy. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> that feels good, too. I don't think people realize, you know, like if they listen to the podcast and they just show some love, you know, at Clayton Comic, you guys, you want to tweet me. Uh, it, it means the world, you know, somebody says something nice about the podcast or, you know, like when I was having my deep run and like comedians I never even met before was like, Hey, I saw that you're doing well in the world series. I'm a comedian from Houston and I'm rooting for you cause we're comedians and, you know, just like little things like that. Just, uh, anything that can help me feel like this is less of a solo project, uh, is, is great because, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a people person, so I don't like to feel alone. You know what I mean? Yes. And I and I do like the fact that you you're similar to me in that, you know, even though we both have been playing for a while, we haven't gotten jaded. Like I like to let people know that it's okay to still be a fan of poker. 
you know, it's like so many people that they get in the game, they get to become good players and almost it's like a chore now to like be bothered with poker. But um, I kind of feel that way a little bit about playing live because that's not really my thing, but I'm still in love with playing online and I'm still in love with just being a fan of poker at the WSOP. Well, I can't wait to see you out there for the next 10 years because I can sign up for that too. I promise I will never miss the World <laughs> Series of Poker for the rest of my life. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to be there each and every year. It's actually the thing that I look forward to the most. And not just recently because I've had some success, but you know I've been playing in the World Series now. This will be my 11th or 12th year, depending on how you count. Now, in some of the early years, you know, I didn't have much of a bankroll, so I would kind of like you hang out, enjoy the atmosphere, see some of my friends, and maybe play some cash games, maybe do like a little bit of satellite here or something like that. And now that I actually have a bankroll, it's like, you know, that's what I used to fantasize about. I'd see my friends playing in big buy-in tournaments and say, man, someday I'll have $1,000 to play a No Limit Hold'em event. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it just feels good to, to be doing it and... Uh, there's really nothing like it, so I hope everybody else is uh, as excited as, uh, you know, Carlos and I sound like two giddy schoolgirls getting ready for, for the prom. But <laughs> Yes, yes, I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It looks like uh, we'll have a good TPE crew out there as well, so uh, looking forward to that. Uh, Carlos, anything else you want people to know about you? Um, all thing I will say is if anybody's interested in getting coaching, on how to uh, receive the free money that's been given away at Bavada. Uh, <laughs> you can contact me on Twitter at Hip Hop 101 Trivia, or you can go to my coaching page at MediocrePokerCoach.com. MediocrePokerCoach.com. Actually, actually, it might be Mediocre Poker Coaching. Let me check. Oh, okay. Yeah, you should probably know your <laughs> URL. Oh, my God. Marketing 101. What's yeah. on my website again? It's too da- <laughs> I don't know who came up with it. It's too damn long for one thing. It is. And, the, <laughs> and some people probably misspell Mediocre. For yeah, long. yeah. But I just I couldn't resist. Like, I'm a, I'm a rap fan. I couldn't resist that dope rhyme in there. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> Yeah, I have, I have no idea what my website is. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> All right, find them on Twitter, guys. At yes. Hip Hop 101 Trivia. Trivia. All right. So, uh, Carlos, thanks so much for hanging out. Looking forward to seeing you uh, in person in June, if not sooner. And yes. So, for uh, everyone here at TPE and for my dear friend Carlos, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening.
with her, hot bed we will be. While little gambling is fun when you're with me. Russian roulette is not the same without a gun. And baby, when it's love, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun. Oh, 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 get a heart, show her what I got. Oh, 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 get a heart, show her what I got. Yeah.